0: yeah i'm really curious though like again i know this is not a politics podcast but as a canadian looking to the south right now i'm just really curious what you guys are thinking about what's happening like are you worried what are your Which thoughts i mean i guess just like the future of america as an empire
1: oh it's fucked <laughs>
2: Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, and despite all my rage, I'm just another tattooed love boy.
3: (laughs) Is is this going to be another occasional... It's not the first time you've done a despite all my rage. uh, (laughs) It's got to
2: be like at least the third time.
3: (laughs) But you're going to rotate between this and quotes from that magazine...
2: (laughs) yeah i think i'm set for the next 50 episodes at least (laughs) oh boy i'm co-host jeremy
1: and i've got bad news for you guys oh no oh no i'm back on the chain gang
3: oh my (laughs) that's that's not a good thing is it
1: no i got caught with brass in my pocket oh now i'm the talk of the town
3: sheesh Well, that's interesting, Jeremy, because I am co-host Peter Cook and don't get me wrong. I knew this band was special, special, precious even, but until looking into them, I had no idea how many of the Pretenders songs I knew. Some are the talk of the town, some are kind of middle of the road, but I'll stand by all of them.
1: Ooh, nice. We both (laughs) went the song route. (laughs) Luckily, it was different enough. Different enough. And joining us
3: today on I'd Buy That for a Dollar, returning to the podcast, is a Toronto-based record collector and enthusiast. Welcome back, Lauren Ram.
0: Hey, everyone. Um, being on I'd Buy That for a Dollar for the fourth time is a real mystery achievement.
3: <laughs> we're really, we're really <laughs> leaning into those song titles all of us <laughs> do. A
0: <laughs> little too much, yeah.
3: <laughs> Campy can't be right out the gate, but it's fun. It's a fun. This is gonna be it. a fun episode. I can tell already. So if they haven't figured it out already, what are we talking about today, Lauren?
0: So we're talking about the Pretenders debut self-titled record. Super excited to chat about it today with you guys.
3: Yeah. This is a band I hadn't really considered that we could cover, but yeah, this one, mm-hmm. go. this debut is a pretty big seller and it doesn't really go for a whole lot most of the time.
0: Yeah, it's a record that I, you know, I just recently re-listened to and I absolutely love. It's a. It's amazing because it's a record that was really well received when it was released. And it's on like a bunch of critics best of lists. But I didn't really think about it when I think about like 1970s punk rock records. It's not as iconic as say, um, London calling or nevermind the Bullocks, even though it's like of that era and of that scene. Um, so yeah, super pumped to be able to share it on the pod today.
3: Yeah. And this came out on sire and it just barely made its way into the year 1979. It was released on (laughs) December 27th of that year. So it's, it's really in a lot of ways, one of the first albums of the (laughs) eighties.
0: Right. And I think it's perfect timing because it's like right at the cusp of the 80s. And stylistically, the album is really, it really bridges the gap between, you know, 1970s punk and 1980s new wave and even pop as well.
3: Yeah. And they sort of what I learned in looking into the pretenders, they encompass like all of that. And I had no idea how punk they were mm-hmm. in their early stages. And you'll hear some of that on this record. Uh, And uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's get right into it. What what song did we want to play first?
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Because I think like when we talk about the pretenders, we think about Stand By Me and like other these other like heat chain gang and all these other big songs from the 80s. But the song I want to play first is actually the first track on the record. It's an absolute banger of a punk song. I love it because the guitars near the end has this sort of echoey treatment. It kind of sounds a bit like a siren. And Chrissy Hind, she delivers this really memorable signature line at the end when she says, fuck off. (laughs) So it's a really like energetic and aggressive punk song.
3: Yeah. Do we want to start uh, a little ways in so our listeners can hear that expletive?
0: Absolutely. Great call. (laughs) All
3: right. Yeah. Because it happens towards the end of the song. So we will start with Precious. Side A, track one.
1: He spent the fifth and Euclid Avenue, was real. Precious. Hotel still incoming coming into view. Oh, how? Precious. It's a pity that you bruised my hip, cause I'm precious. You shouldn't let your manners slip your teeth. Precious. You met me born. me bona. Let me make it oh we have to bound and bound and bound and bound and bound to show it. Oh we was a do it, do it, do it, do it, do it on the pavement. Oh maybe, maybe I'm gonna have a baby. We want to do it. Oh, we do it all night. I had my eye on your imperial, your soul Now how are the duck and Mr. both stayed British. Trapped in a world that they never made But not me, baby, I'm British. too precious to have to fuck off You made
3: me wanna they made me wanna
1: I got to say, I've known of The Pretenders for almost my whole life. My I grew up on classic rock radio, but I only heard the hits. And mm-hmm. listening to this whole album, it's a lot edgier. It's a lot <laughs> more like, hot, like just rocking than uh, I had any idea of. So this is a pretty cool revelation for me.
3: Yeah. I'm sure that's the case for a lot of our listeners if they're not familiar with this album. I got to tell you guys something right out the gate. I believe this is the first artist we've featured that we've focused on that I have seen live.
0: (laughs) Whoa. When did you see the Pretenders?
3: I saw them on August 29th, 2000, opening for Neil Young.
1: I kept waiting for another number
0: after I know, 2000. I me too. <laughs> 2000 <laughs> yeah. and.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: What a great bill. Neil Young and the Pretenders. That's
3: amazing. Yep. Uh, Tegan and Sarah were, were the openers and then the Pretenders and then Neil Young. And I, I got to admit something. I was freshly 20 years old at the time. And I had no idea who the Pretenders were. I was not familiar with them by name. And the woman that I was with, she kept turning to me like, "Wait, do you know this song, don't you?" I'm like, "Nope, nope. I did. I was just still learning a lot about music then." And then they played "Middle of the Road" as their <laughs> encore. I'm like, "Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> I do know this song." And on, on top of it all, that was at the Blossom Music Center in Ohio that I saw them. Just about whoa,
0: Chrissy Hines' like home state.
3: Yeah. And and basically, I think a 10 minute drive from Akron, where she was born.
0: Crazy. Yeah, I feel like we as a culture, as a society, just need to do a better job of recognizing the pretenders, <laughs> specifically Chrissy Hind, who is the, the band leader, I guess, the person who put all this amazing music together. Yeah, I
3: didn't realize that she was pretty much essentially almost exclusively the creative driving Mm -hmm. force behind the band until i looked into them for this episode oh not to say that the other members on this record didn't contribute but she really is the one writing and the sort of the character behind the band is chrissy hind
0: yeah there's so much to say about that i feel like obviously being a female musician in the 70s (laughs) uh, was probably really difficult. Um, And you could read about it in her biography, Reckless, just all the challenges she experienced. But it's true, she really was the person who like strung the band together, wrote the songs, and really was like the front woman, which is incredible when you consider just how like misogynist the culture was um, at the time.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And looking into this, you know, she definitely encountered a lot of struggles to get to the place that she is with the pretenders. But you know, she never let that deter her. She just kept on <laughs> stepping yeah. up to the next challenge that <laughs> faced her.
0: For sure. And um, I would highly encourage listeners to to read her biography because it really gets into just how much work she put in to to produce this music and to like get this band together. And like all these false starts that she had living in London and like meeting all these musicians and wanting to be one herself. But even though like she was the band leader and she did obviously lead everyone to success, she seems like she was pretty chill because one of my favorite anecdotes is that for the cover of this record, all of the guys in the band had eaten pot brownies before the cover shoot so they're like all very high in this picture (laughs) Mm
3: -hmm. yeah i saw that somewhere too yeah it was funny that i didn't really grasp i definitely knew that she was from ohio because when i saw them open for neil young in ohio she made about 20 different references to being from ohio (laughs) during the performance (laughs) she was very proud to be from ohio and be performing in ohio but um, I didn't realize, I was listening to this album, and I was like, why does this sound so much like a magazine record, you know, the the British punk band? Yes, or, was all absolutely. But I, <laughs> I, I was, didn't realize that the rest of the band are British musicians, and that she had, w- had lived in London and all that. I didn't understand that background. So I, here I'm thinking, this is an American band sounding like heavily influenced by British punk, and it's... Because largely they are a British punk band <laughs>
0: um, and produced by a British producer, Chris Thomas. It's Chrissy Hind really you know clawed her way through the music industry and met so many people and just through her um, not luck but hard work, she was able to find people to contribute to this record and make this really incredible sound. And it's really funny. so like Nick Lowe produced two songs from their single, which was released almost a year before the record was released. in the beginning of 1979, he, he produced, uh, the single stop your sobbing, which is a kinks cover and the Wait." He produced them and thought the band was going nowhere. So he basically gave up on the project. (laughs) I know what (laughs) crazy. I don't
3: don't understand what he was hearing. And we've, you know, we, uh, at length talked about Nick Lowe on our rock pile episode. And, uh, I kind of baffled me that he wouldn't hear that there was something here.
0: Right. Right. And it's, I mean, again, just because she had so many connections, she called Chris Thomas, who had produced for the Beatles, the Sex Pistols, Pink Floyd, she had sung on backup vocals on Chris Spedding's Hurt to Love record like a year or so earlier. So she just called him up and was like, hey, do you want to produce this record? I put this band together. I've got all these songs. Do you want to like put this record together for us? And he did.
3: Yeah, he has a really interesting background. I'll just go into it real quick here. He had, at the age of 20, Chris Thomas had contacted Beatles producer George Martin, just saying that he was Interested in working in audio engineering, and Martin hired him. <laughs> and mm-hmm. he, uh, Chris Thomas, <laughs> you know, he's twenty twenty one. He worked extensively on the White album. He actually produced the songs "Birthday" and "Happiness Is a Warm Gun" while George Martin was away on holiday, and did not receive any credit for it on the album. He played various keys on the album as well, like harpsichord, mellotron, and piano. No credit for any of that, though. He then, yeah, that same year worked on the debut album from the Climax Blues Band and did receive credit as the producer. Later in 1973, he took on the daunting task of mixing Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't have, yeah, and, emphasis on the daunting.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a whole rabbit hole we could go down. But yeah, uh, yeah, he also produced some of the later Badfinger records, and as you mentioned, was co-producer of the. Sex Pistols, never mind the Bullocks, here's the Sex Pistols. So he's coming into this with some knowledge about how to produce a punk record and a pop record. And that's kind of what we get both of them <laughs>
0: here. Right. And in and, and Reckless, Chrissy Hine talks about how she was like, Yeah, I just knew Chris Thomas. He was a friend of mine. And so I just called him up. I didn't really think about his reputation as a producer. Some people in the scene weren't as much of a fan of his because he'd done work with like, you know, quote unquote, like classic rock or sold out with the Sex Pistols. But like, I just, he was a friend and I wanted him to produce this record and he did. And then, you know, they went out, went on to produce a very successful record. Like a year later, after Nick Lowe left the project, the record was released and Brass in Pocket went to number one in the UK charts, number 14 in the US. And I think this record was the first number one record of 1980 in the UK. So like Nicklo was wrong. <laughs> he was off.
3: Sorry, Nick, you were wrong. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize until I uh, I got to Brass in Pocket, which is towards the end of the album, that that song was on this album because it sounds so much more pop than the rest of the record.
0: Right. And that's what I love about the record. It's a, a real mix of different genres, like obviously the one we just heard and the one we'll play next are, are a bit more like London punk rock. But then there's a ballad near the end and there's some new wave and some pop on it as well. It kind of, like I said, it bridges the gap between those two sort of um, decades of, of music genres.
1: Yeah. I had read that Chrissy did not like brass in pocket when it was recorded (laughs) told them like, no, we're not releasing that on the album and was talked into putting it out. And then it got super popular, but I guess she's like cool with it nowadays, but yeah, doesn't, didn't like it.
0: Yeah. I heard that um, in the studio, Chris Thomas told her to like, or basically turned up the vocals on that track and she really didn't like it. I think she was a bit embarrassed by the song and she later was out with friends at like a pub or something. And the song came on and you can clearly hear her voice despite like you know, being in a loud place and the music or the it wasn't drowned out by the rest of the the track. And she's like, oh, he was right. Maybe that's why people like it, because people can sing along, they can actually hear my voice. But I can't imagine. Like she also talks about how um anxious she was about being recognized and being like a bit of a celebrity after this like sudden success, which is kind of interesting as well, to think that like she went from being a nobody to being super popular internationally. Yeah, it seems almost overnight. Yeah, pretty much. Sean,
2: what is your Mm -hmm. background
3: with The Pretenders?
2: Not a lot of background. One of my only like weird little memories associated with them is I remember being, I don't know, probably early high school age and getting into classic rock bands and finding new ones that I liked. And I remember thinking that the pretenders seemed kind of interesting. I remember asking my dad, like, what do the pretenders sound like? And he was just like, I don't know, like the pretenders. (laughs) and (laughs) He wasn't wrong. (laughs) Yeah. I couldn't, I remember like being confused and not being able to tell if that was like they had a unique sound or if it was some kind of like a diss based on their name or something. (laughs) But I just like didn't check them out because I didn't get a good recommendation on them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's only been fairly recently that I listened to pretenders a little bit and was like this is actually really good yeah and then like going back to what we were talking about before this record it's like a little more a little more edgy a little more hard-hitting especially if you think about it in the context of being a pretty major label release in 1980 I mean we just listened to a song with curse words in it and yeah. there's probably like not many songs we've ever even featured on this show that have curse words if you think about it it, mm-hmm. it, was,
3: it was not common in music until the 90s
2: yeah so this was probably downright shocking for some audiences in 1980.
0: I think it was pretty shocking additionally because it was led by a woman who was talking, singing about
2: yeah, yeah. Like,
0: sing, singing songs that she wrote herself about her sexuality, about violence, about coming of age as well. But like things that, again, in the misogyny of the, the culture, maybe were not associated with female experiences. So I'm sure like, it was pretty shocking for a lot of male rock critics, but also pretty empowering for a lot of women to hear this as well.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: And even the song Kid, which I didn't put on my list of of songs to play today, is like, it's like a made up song, but it's like literally written from the perspective of a female sex worker confronting her child about what she does for a living. It's like, there really weren't any other songs out there. <laughs> in that, um, in that, uh, vein.
2: Yeah. Usually just songs by men, like condemning women for being sex workers.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. This was like a whole other level of like empathizing with the experiences of someone who is like normally shunned by society.
3: Well, what song did we want to play next <laughs> for our listeners? So
0: I've got the weight, uh, lined up. This is the first pretenders B-side. So um, this was released before the album was released. Uh, I guess it would have been early 1979. It was the B side to "Stop Your Sobbing," which was a huge hit for them before the, uh, this album was released. And again, I really cannot imagine Rob Lowe. Wait, <laughs> not Rob, Rob Lowe. Lowe. <laughs> co- or, or or it. He literally. Nick he Lowe. literally. Thought, no. Um, <laughs> Lowe, yeah. Oh yeah. And again, I really cannot imagine anyone, and certainly not Nick Lowe hearing this and thinking the band was going nowhere.
3: Yeah. We're going to, we're going to condemn you for this Nick Lowe, but no, you're still okay. Otherwise in our book. <laughs> so this is the weight, correct? Correct. Side a track five.
1: Childhood we <laughs> child, now hurts. will be me then
0: Child births, like the child, press like the, child child,
1: like the, child, like the talk, hurts The way the The way child, The will be
3: We've talked a lot about Chrissy Hines so far, but that track is a good opportunity to mention the rest of the band. And I'll start by shining the spotlight on Pete Farndon and his bass guitar work on that track, which is all over the place. For, you know, what's ostensibly a rollicking punk inspired song? There's a lot of musicianship going on there. And James Honeyman Scott on the lead in rhythm guitars on this album, he apparently was actually a big ABBA fan. <laughs> it was his background. He came from a very melodic, pop based background and he helped infuse that into. Chrissy's punk attitude she had by this point she was really good at punk type guitar playing very basic chords and he would round that out with really with a lot of melodicism in his playing and Martin Chambers is on drums and all the members contribute backing vocals and that's it it's a classic rock four piece that you're hearing on this record (laughs)
1: No big guest overdubs. No, uh, no. Moroccan percussionist or something.
3: <laughs> no, not really. There's a, there's a few auxiliary things going on here and there from some players, but overall, it's it's just the band here that you're hearing. Very punk rock. I imagine this is what they sounded like live too.
0: And you know what? You don't have to imagine because yeah, a you lot saw of it. These... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, you, you saw it, but also these are a lot of these tracks you can find live versions of on um, on YouTube.
3: Yeah, there seems to be a lot of footage of them out there. They are a well-documented band.
0: And actually, I was going to mention this about the first song we played, Precious. There's actually a live version from a 1981 show that is also... Incredible. Like you can really hear like the energy really comes across in the live version. But they released a bunch of live tracks, I believe, on the re-release of their second record. So you can you can listen to those as well. They're all on Spotify. Nice. (laughs) But about the band members, I did wanna note, you're right, they they really are a, you know, a great four piece. Sadly, only two Of the members survive to till today, Martin Chambers on drums and obviously Chrissy Hind on vocals. Shortly after the release of their second record, Pete Farndon on bass was kicked out of the band um, because he had a pretty serious drug addiction. And after he was kicked out, James passed away from an overdose. So he, before James was, you know, he was still in the band, he, he died of an overdose. And then less than a year later, Pete met the same fate. So I can imagine it must've been really challenging for the band, especially Chrissy to like, you know, see half the the band have like passed away before, uh, before the mid eighties, before they like really rocketed to success, which is so devastating.
3: Yeah. That all happens before their third and, in- best known album learning to crawl mm-hmm. comes out. Yeah. <laughs> Which was actually that's the one I've had learning to crawl that has back on the chain gang and middle of the road and other songs that people know. That's I've had a copy of that for ages. And I I haven't even spent enough time with it in the for the amount of time that I've had it. You know, I I've put it on a handful of times over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's 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 the pretenders that I was more familiar with. That's a very clean record
0: the track on that record that i love the most and i think is one of my favorite pretender songs is show me it's got like a really inter- it's really interesting lyrically because it it's almost like i don't know show me the meaning of the world like everything is everything seems pretty awful but like what's the meaning it's really beautiful and haunting And I think it's like up there with like the best Pretender songs and just like goes to show just how great a lyricist Christy Hine is.
3: Yeah. She's a great lyricist and a great vocalist. Right, (laughs) uh, (laughs) That's something that really jumped out to me in spending time with this record and just their music leading up to this episode. And I picked up on this before I learned it. I started just thinking there seems to be a, a soul influence on the the way she sings. And then sure enough, find out that was kind of what she cut her teeth on before getting into punk was Marvin Gaye, a lot of R and B and soul. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And that makes sense. It's she's not your typical punk inspired vocalist.
0: Their name even comes from, um, a platter song, the great pretender. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, Chrissy Hind, growing up in Akron, Ohio, she talks a lot about the the importance of Ohio like radio stations. And like, obviously, she was probably really, like, influenced by a lot of like soul and gospel music, as well as like rock and roll and like hearing bands like The Beatles and the Rolling Stones just like compelling her to to move across the pond and leave Ohio and go to London and become a music journalist and really be driven to like meet as many musicians as she can, get into the scene, and become a musician herself.
3: It it was interesting. I saw that she, as a music critic, when she was doing a lot of reviews, she initially kind of leaned into the whole hating on everything aspect of music journalism and mm-hmm. it was it was what they were looking for it was what people wanted in their music critics at the time and she after a while maybe a year of doing that she thought I really I want to love music again <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny
0: because um later she lived with a uh, journalist Vivian Goldman who was also a musician she has that song Laundrette and she referred to Vivian as like a quote unquote real musician, unlike herself, who was just there to like, she was just kind of faking it. She didn't even see herself as a real journalist. She was just, you know, there to make some money so she could get into the scene.
3: Yeah. And she went through quite the series of bands, punk the punk scene to 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 get to, you know, who we know Chrissy Hine to be Mm-hmm. Now I saw footage of her hanging out with the slits, and just all these cl- classic legendary punk bands. I, I don't know how much you were planning on going into that whole process because it gets lengthy,
0: yeah. I mean, you could really write a well. She wrote a book about it, <laughs> but she <laughs> I mean, you just get Pro the sense Chrissy, that you she's... could write a book. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Pro tip. Well, I I mean, I know I mentioned earlier that like we as a culture need to recognize Chrissy Hind more. I mean, maybe that's not what she wants because she doesn't like the attention, but I feel like we're due for a Chrissy Hind documentary on HBO or something to just really show how um, how much impact she had, that how she was so much a part of this like London or UK punk scene that we... That we associate with like mostly men, male bands like the Damned or or um, the Sex Pistols. But it's amazing. Like first of all, like reading about her story when she was or her life, I guess when she was in Ohio, she went to Kent State and was actually there during the Kent State massacre. She drops out of university, moves to London, and she became friends with the Sex Pistols and even like worked with Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren at their boutique Sex, (laughs) which is incredible. Like, I mean, that's like the heart of the punk movement, at least in retrospect, looking at it from this perspective, like that just seems like she was so deep in that, that scene. And she even tried to marry not one, but two of the Sex Pistols because she wanted to extend her stay in the UK. She was really worried about being deported and sort of working under the table. Um so she like tried to get married <laughs> to to extend her stay and it didn't work out because I can't remember why, but uh you know, she obviously was friends with a lot of people.
3: Apparently, apparently when they went to the place to get married. It was closed that day and then it was going to be a closed for an extended holiday. And they just never right. got back around to it. It was, with, yeah. Yeah. I feel like it was with both Sid vicious and Johnny rotten. <laughs> that she Right, tried to swear right. To uh, And you mentioned her time at Kent state. Hadn't she been in with Devo and Mark Mothersbaugh and all them at Kent state?
0: That's right. Yeah. She was in a band with Mark Mothersbaugh it's, at it's, Kent state, <laughs> Just is like, it's
3: just, Yeah. It's It's all the incredible. It's it's mind blowing.
1: She's like the Forrest Gump of the punk world.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, and I think it's really easy for us to think like, oh wow, so lucky. Like she was just there at the right time, right place, which I'm sure is a big part of it. But reading her memoir, you discover just how much she had to work (laughs) to get there. Like she was often passed over because she was a woman, and like not taken seriously. Um, some one of her early managers wanted her to pursue a solo career so they could market her you know as a female singer songwriter and she really didn't want that she wanted to be in a band as a musician and I think that's one of the reasons why some of the songs on this album come across as almost like aggressive and angry because like honestly I think I'd be angry too she just worked so hard and was not taken seriously. So, she joined the band Masters of the Backside as a guitarist. She was kicked out, and then they became the Damned. Um, <laughs> she she joined a lot of bands, and one of them she was found. She found out she was kicked out of the band by reading a want ad for a new singer that was placed by the band. They didn't have the guts to like kick her out. They basically just like looked Aww. for someone else. Um, but she joined the Clash. On their first tour, not as a musician, just as a friend on the road. Um, like I said, she was friends and lived with musician Vivian Goldman. She was also friends with Lemmy of Motorhead. And one of the stories wow. I really loved. I know it's like it's like kind of like a pinball all over these like different genres and and influential musicians. But she met Viv Albertine, who was dating Mick Jones of the Clash at the time and they became really good friends before Viv went on to join the Slits. <laughs> like, incredible. She she reveals that like Viv basically said to her in a conversation like I've been asked to join the Slits like do you think that I should? And Hein talked about how like apprehensive they were to be part of an all-girl group because again, they would not be taken seriously, but Hein knew that like women had more of a chance within the punk sort of culture because in her words, like no one could play an instrument. So being a girl and getting into music, wasn't really a novelty. Punk was really just about like self-expression and you couldn't be good. If you were in a punk band, you were just a person making music. And so it wasn't that like extra hurdle to get over. You, had to, you didn't have to be a virtuoso musician. You just had to be someone who wanted to, you know, had that drive to, to get into a band.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. And she really picked up guitar from what I gathered in the process of going through all these groups that she didn't grow up playing guitar.
0: No. So another song on the album, I just wanted to mention, uh, we're not going to play it, but I think it's really important to touch on sort of Chrissy's, Chrissy Hines' influence. Um, One song, Tattooed Love Boys, it's all about her experience being sexually assaulted in Ohio. And one of the lyrics, uh, which goes, stop sniveling, you're going to make some plastic surgeon a rich man, is taken from what she was told by her perpetrator in that experience. It sounds like an innocent pop punk song, but the lyrics are actually really dark. And again, I think it gets back to that, like, I he- I hesitate to use the word empowering, but certainly like pretty revelatory to share those experiences, those female experiences and like turn them into song. It's pretty powerful. Um, but the song I want to play next is called the phone call. And she first recorded this as a demo before putting the pretenders together. So Tony Secunda, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, he heard Chrissy play this song and he put her on a retainer so that she could focus on songwriting. But he really wanted her to become a solo musician, and she just wanted to be in a band. She didn't want that for herself. So she recorded this demo, and she arranged for Secunda to call her from a pub as she, recorded the, um, as she recorded the phone sound that is in the song. So he called her, and, and she basically recorded that call to get the like dial tone sound. And apparently, <laughs> Tony was at a bar at the time with John Kale, who was in town visiting at the time. And Tony then lied and said that John Cale produced this demo just for name recognition. Like truly (laughs) wild. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I really love this song because it, it does remind me of Blondie's hanging on the telephone that like uses sounds from a phone incorporating that into the song but what i love most about this is that there's like a time signature change that adds a really interesting depth to the song and it's like i just again i think it shows just how versatile she was as a a songwriter
3: so this is the phone call that we're gonna listen to next phone call yeah side a track two Wow, Lauren, you really picked the rollicking <laughs> numbers <laughs> for our featured selections on this one. But it's you know it's it's the side of the Pretenders that people probably don't know. Our, most of our listeners are probably not familiar with, so I don't think that's a bad thing.
0: Yeah, I really tried to choose songs that were maybe not as well known. Like we all know, Kid Brass and Pocket. Certainly, we've heard at least the Kinks version of "Stop Your Sobbing" and. Also, I should have mentioned Private Life, which is on side two, was covered by Grace Jones. So <laughs> we at least know that version, probably. So I wanted to play some of the songs that maybe were not as well known. Yeah,
3: it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, everyone's heard Brass in Pocket. Even if you don't know it by title, put it on. You will know it. Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I, I I was today years old, as the people say nowadays, when when I found out that I'll (laughs) Stand By You was originally by The Pretenders. I I, I knew knew the song, it was a hit when I was like 14. And I don't think I really knew who they were then either. And a lot of people have covered that song. And it's just sort of in the air. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even if you don't think you know The Pretenders, you do, because they have so many more songs that are just out there than even I realized. And heck, I saw them live.
0: It's worth going back to their first record, though, to hear where it all started. And really like listen to their clear, like punk roots.
3: Yeah. It's a trip mm-hmm. and it's really good. It this is a great album. Well, there is so much more that we could say about the pretenders and everything that's happened since this album, their debut album, but the information is out there and we'll leave that up to our listeners.
2: Sean, did you mm-hmm. happen
3: to do that thing you do on these episodes? <laughs>
2: Uh, like a maybe thinking here, just like a short list of recommended similar albums. That thing,
3: that thing,
2: yeah, I could do that real quick. Please cool. do, cool, cool. Yeah, first on my list, uh, Nona Hendrix, self titled from 1977. Just thinking about early new wave female led records with that hard edge, but a nice pop sensibility to it. Previously featured record.
3: Yes. Was that with guest Ryan Werner?
2: Yes, it was. I think so. It's so hard to keep track. <laughs> <laughs> there's, been, there's now been multiple times where at the point where I'm putting together recommended similar albums list, and I sometimes will have to do a double take. Like, have we talked about this record before? <laughs> have I recommended it, or have we done an entire episode? Because sometimes I'm just not certain it's, anymore.
3: It's hard when you're coming up on 200 episodes to
0: remember <laughs>
2: We're nearly oh there. Oh my
0: god, two hundred! Congrats. Thank, Thank
2: you. you. Actually, all three of my recommendations for this episode are previously featured episodes. So next up is the Corgi's "Dumb Waiters," also from nineteen eighty. You know, technically this is a seventy-nine record, but like we said, it's also kind of one of the first big records of nineteen eighty.
3: Yeah, yeah,
2: just like "London Calling" by the Clash. Yep, and. That record leans a little more into the kind of new wave pop sensibility. But if you if you listen to it, there's some connections. There's a little bit of that harder guitar going on with the Corgis as well. And then my last recommendation, which I put on here before realizing how much of a close connection there was, but Rock Pile, Seconds of Pleasure, also from 1980.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Nick Lowe, who, you know, didn't see the magic here, but... Who knows what that was about? Made the
2: worst call of his career. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I noticed that Rockpile member Billy Bremner played on a few tracks on Pretenders Learning to Crawl.
3: No way. Yeah, I think we mentioned that on the Rockpile episode. Yep.
2: And that's my short list.
3: Well, very good. It gives our listeners not only a reminder to check out previous episodes, but things to look for when they're
0: hunting out there in the bins. And I would highly recommend, as I mentioned earlier, that folks check out Reckless, Chrissy Hines' uh, biography. It really goes into um, not just her experience in the music industry, but also just like what London was like in the late 70s in the punk scene. Highly recommend.
3: Excellent. Yes. And they do. We'd be remiss if we did not mention that there is a forthcoming Pretenders album this year coming out in late summer, early fall. It's called Relentless, so keep an eye out for that, and I think we are ready to get on out of here, crawl on out of here, and like the pretenders <laughs> might do. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us yet again, Lauren. It's always a blast having you on the podcast.
0: Well, thank you for having me again. It's uh, so fun to, to join you guys. Talk about records, you know?
3: Yeah, it's what we do here. We like it. Well, what uh, did you select for us to go out on today?
0: So this is the final track on the record. It's called Mystery Achievement. I mentioned it earlier (laughs) in the episode. This is my favorite Pretenders song, and it's a, a huge reason why I got back into this album. Just as a side note, it was played in the last episode of the second season of the TV show The Deuce, which... If listeners haven't watched that show, highly recommend. I cannot say good, enough good things about it. But it was a really great end of the season scene. And I remember putting it on spot of, or um, bringing up my Shazam because I didn't recognize it. I always associated the Pretender sound with like songs like The Kid and Back on the Chain Gang. And I didn't recognize this as a Pretender song. And I was really surprised to find out that not only was it the Pretenders, but I also <laughs> had the album. So it really got me back into them. And I really have like so much love for this song. It's it's a ten out of ten for me.
2: The Deuce was a great show and an excellent soundtrack all the way through.
0: A solid soundtrack. Maybe one of the best. Yeah. For sure. Yeah,
2: I'm not
3: familiar with The Deuce, so Honestly, we could
0: do a whole episode about why I love that show, but we'll save that for another time.
2: Another time in a different podcast. Yeah,
0: we'll
3: we'll have all all your selections from now on will be related to the deuce whenever you come on. I buy that for a (laughs) dollar. Sounds great. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, this is the final song on the album, The Pretender's self-titled debut. Keep an eye out for it. You can find this Pretty cheap out there. Learning to crawl is a little more expensive nowadays. It's in like the 10 to 15 range, still relatively affordable in this ever increasing landscape of record collecting prices. But uh, yeah, this has been I'd buy that for dollar dollar. And my name is co-host Peter Cook.
1: My name is co-host Jeremy. I'm co-host Sean.
0: And I'm guest Lauren.